0: Welcome back to the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. It's your hosts, Sarah and Lori. We got super lucky that our schedules aligned today. So we are both here, which we love. Um, In fact, I was like waiting for Lori and I was getting nervous. She wasn't going to show up because she was one minute late, which is not her MO. And so I was starting to like mourn thinking maybe you slept in or something, but. Lori is here with us and we have a new friend to us, um, Gwen, who is joining us on the podcast to talk about, um, well, I'll just turn it over to you, but to talk about your experience, having received both a BPD diagnosis and a bipolar disorder diagnosis. And like many of us who have maybe heard that, um, not being sure what fits or where it fits or how it fits. So we're kind of getting into the intersection of um, bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder today. Um, But Gwen, do you want to
1: introduce yourself? Hi. So I started showing symptoms of BPD like very early on. I can remember like elementary school having the very tumultuous friendships where it's like, one day she is my best friend in the world, like number one. And then like, she doesn't invite you to a play date that everyone else is invited to. And you know, you'll never talk to her again. Like she's dead to me, it's just, and then, you know, flip-flops like that. Um, so when I started becoming like, like getting into my like preteen years, like middle school, um, I started to... um show more symptoms of the self-harm behavior uh suicidal ideation that kind of thing um but also very high highs and low lows i would get really energetic all of a sudden and at night i would stay up and try to channel my energy into more healthy things like i was in therapy since i've been eight um but i would like tear up pieces of paper, like I would just go through newspapers and rip them up in my room or like tear apart my room. Like everything would come out of the drawers. And um so at that time they started to suspect, okay, this is probably like bipolar. Um at that point they kind of started me on medication around like 14. Um I did have a grandmother that had bipolar. So it kind of fit. It made sense. They tried some of the medication that worked for her. Um, And it didn't seem to work all that well. Um, My first actual attempt at suicide um, was when I was like 15. Um, And again, like medications, I've always kind of had this tendency for like, if there is any small, very odd, like it's a potential side effect, but like it happens to very few people. I've always been the type that's like, yeah, that shows up in me. Um, so what was actually happening when I was 15 was I kept, I knew I needed a higher level of care. I kept saying like, I think I I need to be hospitalized. I need to be, you know, kept an eye on whatever. Um, and they said, we don't have a bed for you. We, We can't have, you know, we don't have anything available unless you, unless, you know, they said to my mom, unless your daughter tries something. Um, so it was a night that, uh, situation happened with like friends that, you know, obviously for me spiraled my world. And I remember I had like anti-anxiety pill that I thought I was having a panic attack. So I took them and all of a sudden my suicidality went down deep, which as you know, people in the world taking sick psychological drugs. No, like that is a real possibility. Right. But that wasn't discussed with me as like a 15 year old. Like if you're having, if you think it's a panic attack, but you are suicidal, like don't take that. So I did then attempt it and was able to get into a psychiatric hospital. And at that point they were like, this probably isn't bipolar. It's borderline. So so after that, I had a couple other um, attempts and they were like, okay, definitely borderline, like, not bipolar. But and that I've was at 15.
2: Been, that, sorry, just yeah. I don't want to interrupt. You are at 15, no, no, you're so that's, fine. That's pretty young for for that shift, which is just interesting for our listeners, I think.
1: Yeah. So um, and technically they don't even like to diagnose you with bipolar until 18. And they had made that clear to they me. Can't. They like, borderline, they can't, right? Not bipolar. So yeah. But
2: oh okay. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't B- sure. They can't diagnose borderline until you're 18, usually,
0: not bipolar, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we don't diagnose in the States bipolar disorder under 18 to my oh. knowledge, I've never done it. I don't know any teens that have done it. Interesting. So they, I think they will note in it. the chart bipolar traits, borderline traits, but you, I've never known a teen to, to be like, let me do a quick Goog, but I've never known it. I could be wrong, but. And Gwen, are yes. you in the States as
2: well?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I Interesting. am. Interesting. I think a. that's different in Canada. Yeah. So they had said to me, like, we don't we won't technically diagnose you with bipolar ahead of 18 because your brain isn't developed, which, as we know, until 25 is really not developed or like late 20s, whatever. Um, but because at that time I was having auditory hallucinations, I was having severe swings. I tried to run away from home like I was it it was getting really bad. My parents were essentially like, you know, <laughs> you know, do something. So they, they started me on some, some pretty hefty, um, bipolar medication. There was a uh, geodon is a medicine that they use. And I was, I had a, a I guess an underlying sleep issue that was triggered by that. So I was sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day. You can't get much done when you're sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day. So they took me off that tried like lithium, which is also another like very, you know, pretty hefty. So they tried all these medications um, that again, like maybe shouldn't have been doing in like a developing brain, but you know, whatever the case was, they ended up kind of honing in and saying, especially after the multiple hospital stays and everything, they were like, okay, this is, we don't think this is bipolar. Also, like I didn't have the like times where I stayed up for multiple days or nights. Right. And they never discussed with me the cyclic Um, manic or like the hypomanic episodes, they always said, like, you don't show the very textbook staying up for days at a time, super energized for days at a time. So I said, okay, like, great, it's borderline. And when I got that diagnosis, it made so much sense, right? Because I, as I said, like, I had had the best friends to enemies relationships for so long, um, as well as the, you know, like the body dysmorphia, the severe, self-worth problems like just everything it just felt right but there was like a nagging feeling kind of like it wasn't quite and throughout the period I was I've I've been going to psychiatrists and I was 12 um so they tried me on different mood stabilizers too which they said were kind of just like helping out with the cuz I've been in DBT I've done multiple rounds of DBT which I found extremely helpful like it was night and day between the you know talk therapy but how how do you feel about that you know like I never found that helpful and then I found DBT and it was life changing um but then when I I was say
0: though, when I'm sorry, I just, this is nagging at me. You mentioned auditory hallucinations. I mean, that's a psychotic symptom, right? That's very consistent with the presentation of also like a bipolar disorder. It's one Mm -hmm. of the core components of diagnosis and you can't fact check an auditory hallucination very well. So I am really interested in like learning about the intersection there. I don't know if that stood out for you, Lori.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it stood out slightly differently because my understanding is that you can have auditory and visual hallucinations with borderline. It's rare, um, but in like a really, really, really stressed state, for example. Um, And so I was curious as to like, if that, if they were thinking that that was part of the bipolar or part of the borderline piece. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, I think at least, think up here having psychosis is, uh, like, um, my God, it's too early for my brain to be functioning right now. Um, it doesn't, it like, like you get rejected from DBT if you have psychosis because
0: of that exact reason, Sarah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting because watch us nerd out Gwen. Um, because like there's no, criteria for diagnosis for borderline that is having, you know, hallucinations. There is like severe dissociation that may resort, like result in something like that, but it's a core part of the criteria for receiving a borderline personality disorder or bipolar disorder diagnosis. And she said very rare, right? I mean, the comorbidity of BPD and borderline. I'm looking at it right now, but it's 20% of people with bipolar two disorder. Um, and 10% of people with bipolar one disorder have comorbid BPD. So I wonder if there's something there about like it being mm-hmm. very rare, maybe the people that we know also have an underlying. Totally. Sarah, when is that stat from, does it say, um, 2019 national okay. library of medicine. So I Okay, feel that's good about relatively this. recent. Yeah. No, I was national just, Institute of health. I feel like 10 years ago,
2: it would have been a way smaller number than 20%. Much small. Yeah. So I'm super interested by that. Could you, um, just for people like me who don't necessarily know the differences between bipolar types, do you mind just giving like a little bit of an overview, Sarah or, or, um, Gwen of like, you know bipolar one bipolar two I was in a relationship with someone for a number of years who had like severe bipolar and so I I feel like I have a quite intimate knowledge of like especially the
0: mania pieces. Um is that a hard copy hardcover copy of the DFM? Gwen, if you want to give an overview and then I can go through some of like the very specific language from this, I think that both would be cool.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um and again I don't know a ton about bipolar as a diagnosis because so many years ago they, you know, told me that it definitely wasn't bipolar. It was borderline, but from what I understand, um, mania. So typical mania is, you know, you'll stay awake for days at a time. Um, just really energized, don't have a need for sleep, um, and can have very, um, it can go into psychosis, from what I understand, um, and very agitated. Um, I do, I do know people who have had bipolar, and some of them have tried to like run people off the road, like very aggravated states, things like that. Um, now, hypomania, from what I understand, is not typically always the same, like not sleeping for days at a time, and it's less severe. with, so, you know, the hypo, that it's a little below the level that the mania is Um, and with the cyclic mania you get the very depressed periods mixed in with the um, hypomanic episodes so instead of having periods of deep depression followed by periods of the hypomania you get them both at the same time so you'll be like you know not able to leave the house and really depressed but also extremely agitated irritable uh, aggressive type of behavior kind of mixed in at the same time. Um, right. So is that kind of. And
2: that's very like, I can see why that would be confused with BPD. Compared to yeah. compared to what like my experience with my partner who had um, bipolar, like it was really te- like classic that like two weeks mania, two weeks depressive, two weeks mania, two weeks depressive, which to me like is very not borderline.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we basically cycle hundreds of times throughout the day. And I was just talking to someone that I'm dating recently who was saying like, I can I can literally like watch you cycle through your emotion states. And it's like, yeah, like that's a big, it's a, easy way to spot the difference. Um, But Gwen gave like a literal, beautiful overview. So bipolar one disorder is characterized by periods of true mania and periods of true depressive episodes. And like really the major distinction between mania and hypomania is the period in which people are energized for how long and how severe, just like you said. So clinically we call an actual manic episode a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated expansive or irritable mood um and abnormally and persistently increased goal directed activity or, or energy lasting at least 1 week 1 week um did that present, used to be 2 weeks in
2: the DSM 4
0: was it two I weeks? I was an undergrad then I don't remember okay. I didn't refer to the DSM 4 in my case All right fair enough network. um And then, so what they say is like a decreased need for sleep. You'll feel rested after only three hours of sleep. Most people will get that like for a week or longer and feel totally energized or whatever, which is where those like psychotic symptoms start. And then hypomania is a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated expansive or irritable mood lasting at least four consecutive days. So that's the difference. So hypomania, you can basically say like four days, mania, seven days, and then all of the other like symptoms of mania that we can talk about at a different time because there's a million of them. And then yeah, cyclothymic disorder is an even lower acuity of hypomania, which actually when I was in the process of getting diagnosed with borderline, they were saying bipolar two, and then they were saying cyclothymic disorder, and then they settled on BPD, So I think that's like a pretty normal um, kind of thing, but I have certainly never experienced any hallucinations or symptoms that we would in the field call like, quote unquote, you know, psychotic symptoms.
1: So it's really interesting to
0: me when people do. Yeah.
1: So, and from what um, I understand too, is with the cyclic, Mania type of thing, it doesn't have like a trigger, right? So with BPD, yes, it might be the smallest trigger, but typically we can always identify a trigger, right? Somebody cuts us off in traffic, and all of a sudden, like we Hulk out or whatever, you know. But with the cyclic mania, it's like you're really depressed, and then you're like, uh, my psychiatrist said, it's kind of like a you're like a bear, like you're just you don't know why you're kind of so agitated, and it's true. Like with I, I have the borderline where i can very distinctively say like this was what set me off and then i have periods where i'm just like i have no idea why i'm in such a terrible mood why i'm being so nasty to these people i love like they're my my people my family you know like um so but actually when you were talking about the psychosis i've had the like hypopsychotic you know or the you know the hallucin uh, hallucination type things. But then also the thing that really got me to say, okay, like, I definitely want to look into this being more bipolar possibly is I, when I was 16, I had, um, my first full-blown psychotic episode, which, um, was triggered by a steroid. So I was under uh, treatment for cancer at that time. So I was on tons of different medications, Um, so they couldn't really pinpoint which medication caused it. But when I tell you, I went into full blown psychosis, um, I was, I completely lost touch with reality. Didn't, uh, I I was raised religious. I thought I was, um, pregnant with Jesus, (laughs) like hundred percent, just like completely lost my mind. Um, that must have
0: been so wild to live through.
1: It was the most terrifying thing. I thought people in TV yeah. were like acting, reenacting episodes, like just for me, like it was not being able to trust what your brain is telling you is the most horrifying thing that I've ever experienced. Um, so they thought it was a tr- They attributed it to a certain medication I was on at the time. But again, like undergoing chemo, you're on at least 10 different medications at one time, you know, to fight it. So Could I ask,
2: sorry. Sure. Um, at what age were you doing chemo? I was
1: diagnosed at 15. So I know that so through a was
0: wrench and yeah, everything. I'm I like, was, fucking whammo. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like,
1: so like I mean,
2: I, yeah, like of course you're gonna have rapidly cycling emotions if you're a diagnosed with cancer, b going through chemo. Not to mention you're on C
0: 15
2: yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like trying, you're like on chemo medications and all of the other things that go with it. Plus they're trying to switch all of these mental health medications at the same time. Like what a clusterfuck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was ironic. Um, after my first, you know, suicide attempt, um, it was about a few months later, maybe three months later that I got diagnosed with leukemia and they were like, you know, you're you're dying. Um, so it was completely, you know, Freshman year of high school, it was a very weird time for me already. Um, and that was, yeah, it was definitely a lot. Um, and obviously makes things a lot harder to figure out what is, because there are medications that they use to treat um, cancer that can cause rage and aggression and you know, children, things like that. Um, and I was on chemotherapy for three and a half years for that. So, you know, while my brain was developing and trying to figure out all these other pharmacological meds, uh, there were quite a few others on board. Um, but so that was my first psychotic episode. Um, and I wasn't put, I I wasn't in a psychiatric hospital at that time because I was already at a hospital. I was already inpatient at a hospital for my cancer treatment. So they just, Um, you know, they have somebody like sit with you all the time and like keep an eye on you pretty much. But, um, the second time that that's ever happened and it, I could, I could feel it coming on. I was like, I know what this is, um, was right before everything shut down right before COVID. So it was like 2020. Um, my doctor put me on a medicine for a sinus infection that I had just to help me with the inflammation, um, which just, a, a. disclaimer, like they don't tell you that it's actually relatively common to have psychotic episodes, um, with steroids. So it turns out that this steroid is what originally caused it. They just couldn't tease that out with all the other medications I was on. Um, but it's called prednisone and it I was going to
0: say, was it prednisone?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. They, they, they give it out to people for all different kinds of things. You know, it's and not it an unusual thing. Yeah, so interesting. Mm -hmm.
2: Because I'm, I'm having to. I had a sinus infection a couple weeks ago, and I had to take like a nasal steroid as well. And like, Mm -hmm. I have clear mental health challenges throughout my entire like medical history, and they didn't mention that at all. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, they don't mention it. But also, the interesting thing is, you don't have to have any underlying psychiatric issues to go into full blown psychosis. So I've read different studies on it since I've, you know, now had it twice. And there are people who have never once had a psychiatric issue who have to be hospitalized because they go into full blown. They completely lose touch with reality, which happened to me. Um, I actually this past time stayed a week for six days straight um, and completely lost touch with reality, um, had to go inpatient for about 14 days. And at that point, I said. This has to be something. So I, I was thinking the cases that I read about where people had gone into psychosis from steroids, I didn't read. They had stayed up for six days straight. That to me felt more like mania than straight up psychosis. So I a hundred percent, you know, know that I did go into psychosis. I mean, the things I thought were going on were completely not going on. Um, but I think what I suspected was that it was triggering a full-blown manic episode. And that was then turning into psychosis. Anyone going six days without a wink of sleep is going to, you know, go a little batty. Um, so that's when I really started fighting, saying to my psychiatrist, I don't, you know, I don't think that this is just borderline. Like, I think that this is something else, Um so, which makes I,
0: it incredibly hard to get treatment too, because like it's a, a, any underlying medical concern would be a rule out for diagnosis, except for like what you're saying, you know, like, okay, well uh, everybody else who takes prednisone who maybe has these symptoms it's for like 24 hours or it's to a much lesser degree, you know? And so then that, that like rule out makes it difficult. For them to acknowledge like no no 6 days no sleep and like thinking that you're birthing jesus not a typical response to like a side effect of these meds i could i 100% on board with this
1: yeah so um it's interesting actually a few months before my you know psychosis triggered by the steroids in like 2019 I had gone and gotten um, neurocognitive testing done because for a more exact, or I don't know if it was neurocognitive, it was psychological testing for a more exact diagnosis. And she said to me, based on your results, you are hundred percent BPD. Like, I don't think you, you know, you don't show the typical manic signs. So, you know, everything up until recently was you are BPD, like, yeah, you might be an unusual, like some things don't exactly add up, but that's what you are. And then I have been going through a pretty pretty rough depressive episode that medications just haven't really been touching. Um, So my psychiatrist recommended ketamine treatments. And I was looking into ketamine. I was in touch with a company, I was ready to go. And they said to me, we cannot do this on anyone. If they have schizophrenia or bipolar with psychotic symptoms, you don't have that. Right. And I said, well, I said, I have had psychosis triggered by steroids. However, I've been told time and time again, that I do not have bipolar. So I have borderline and they said, okay, borderline should be fine. Right. Because we can't trigger anything with ketamine in bipolar or in borderline. I apologize. People. And I said, great. So I was, I was scheduled. I was all set up to go. And my psychiatrist had tried me on a new medication for the depression until I got the ketamine on board. And I started to feel the very beginning episodes, like signals of psychosis. And I said to him, I'm probably just freaking out. Like, this is probably like just me getting into my head and being nervous, but i Feel like I'm starting. There are very specific behaviors, so I'll start to get very like OCD and start cleaning and organizing obsessively, and like staying up very late at night doing it. And he was like, "I think we should back off a little bit" because he had recently doubled that medication that he had tried. And he said, "It'll be interesting to see if this helps backing off of it. Because if so, this is 100% bipolar. It's not borderline because this medication, what it's doing, is increasing your dopamine." And he said increasing dopamine in someone with bipolar will definitely bring on psychotic symptoms. Doing that in someone with borderline won't do anything because in borderline you cannot bring on psychotic episodes or symptoms or anything like that with dopamine increase or anything like that. And I said, All right, let's try it.
0: Dopamine's so, not gonna do much to us. <laughs> right. Well, that's that. the
2: issue. That's the issue with medicating bipolar if it's diagnosed incorrectly is that you can trigger a manic episode which then i'm assuming that that's just triggering the psychosis it's not like the dopamine is giving you the psychosis there's like a middle piece there because right. that's super right. common
1: yeah so we we cut back on it and um the psychotic like episode like the the symptoms that were edging towards psychosis went away and he was like great. That seems to be improving it. So let's cut it completely. I said, are you sure we should cut it completely? Just cold turkey. He was like, yeah, it's going to be fine. The next day I was sobbing at the hat, a drop of a button. I I was a nanny and the little girl started crying. I started sobbing, like could not hold myself together. So we ended up increasing it again, but just like that little fact that, you know, increasing the dopamine to the small amount, he was like, okay, well, now we know for sure that's 100% bipolar. You don't have borderline. You never have borderline. I was like, that doesn't feel right to me, right? I've been in the borderline community since I was, you know, re-diagnosed all those years ago. Um, I have been in multiple DBT groups. Like, I was like, I really resonate with borderline. So I said to him, I think, you know, maybe it's both. I, I did do some research and... Evidently, there's a term coined border polar, which is the combination of both. Um, and he was like, well, you know, that's that's really rare. So um, you do. He said you do have an unusual. How brain. old is he? He's older. So probably old school. And he's very much of the camp that is we should it doesn't really matter what the label is as long as we're creating the symptoms and you can live a normal life and like go about your business that then that's what's important. So for me, um, it was, it was invalidated to <laughs> have gone so many years saying, I think this is, you know, multiple things. It's, it's, and then be completely dropped the diagnosis that every clinical person I had talked to had held on to so tightly and completely dismissed the other one. Um, but also part of me was like, couldn't we have tried this years ago, right? Like, mm-hmm. couldn't we have tested this out, you know, in a controlled environment, just like, increase this thing, this, you know, level. And if that does it, that that's a definitive test that you do, you know. Um, so since that, uh, increase in medication. I, you know, obviously have not done the ketamine therapy because that would not probably be the best option. Um, but I have been doing a lot more research into the cross section of borderline and bipolar and learning kind of more about the combination. And in retrospect, a lot of things make sense. Um, the fact that I've been on, um, mood stabilizers to help with my psychotherapy for years, probably makes sense why I wasn't showing the symptoms of bipolar. Right. I mean, like, why would I, if I was on, um, so yeah, just, it's been a journey. Um, and obviously it's still a developing thing. Um, I'm actually right now taking a medication that was used in childhood for, Uh, seizures I had. And it's the same medicine that I took way back then for seizures is now being used as a mood stabilizer. So just so many things I think are so interesting with like the psychiatric medication and like they can be used for different things off label, obviously. And, um, you know, also just being careful with how many different roads it can go down depending on which medication they choose and, you know, it's not an exact science, unfortunately, not much medicine is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been um, interesting kind of trying to figure things out on my own and with my clinicians um, throughout the years.
2: It sounds like you have a, as frustrating as it is, it sounds like you do have like a good care team, which is good, like nice, like a consistent care team. And one of the things like about the whole labeling piece that you were talking about is like, I get when providers are like, well, we don't need labels. Right. But I think that that's not very helpful if they're not asking the individual, like, is the label helpful for you? Because to you, it sounds like the label was really helpful for you and you felt like you had a community. And so just saying like, no, it doesn't matter. is kind of not really client centered in a way. Um, Although it's interesting that he is a bit older because, like, they are the ones that are usually, like, stuck on labels. <laughs> so just, like, so many interesting
0: pieces there. Um, but he might I, also be saying he's stuck on labels because he's afraid to make a diagnosis. Yeah. Because or it's know. like, right, it's so demonized when you diagnose someone incorrectly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for so long, people didn't want to say people had borderline because that was a death sentence in the mental health community, right? Nobody wanted to go near you. Nobody wanted to touch you. Uh, But now it's much more, I think, understood. And, you know, I've had great therapists that were definitely willing to work with me with my borderline. Um, But I think, you know, from what I've read too, it's like for so many years, they focus so much on the distinctions between the two, um, borderline and bipolar. And they, so, so many people have thought like, it's one or the other, it cannot be both, like, you have to figure out which one it is. And, and so that really doesn't allow for a lot of consideration of, okay, maybe it's, it's both, you know, like, it could just be. And the thing is, they do have such similar presentations in some aspects that it is a lot of people do focus on, okay, like how can we definitively tell if it's this or this? And so there's not a lot of the meshing of, um, but I mean, you know, you look at ADHD and a lot of those symptoms will overlap. Like there's so many things that overlap. I can understand why they would be like, okay, there are so many different possible diagnoses that have the same symptoms. Why not just treat the symptoms? Like I get that. Um, Also, you know, having a laundry list of diagnoses isn't really serving people in the long run, you know, like, you know, feeling like people are just slapping a label on you doesn't often feel great. Um, However, I think that, you know, when you're on this journey of trying to figure out what, what it is you've been battling for so many years and everything, it is kind of, um, if it's important to you, which to me, it has been kind of something I've been kind of like fighting for to figure out what is this, like, give it a name, um, more in the aspect of I'm, I'm more curious about it. Like I love the healthcare industry and the mental health community. And I like learning about things. Um, but I also think that most patients know themselves really well, especially when, you know, in our community when you've been going through it for so long, um, that I think it is important to, at a certain point, like have a certain sense of uh, autonomy and feel like you're being listened to and understood and believed by your clinicians and not just kind of, um, you know, working as a team together.
0: Yeah. I really like, I mean, I understand in the there's a fear of clients doing quote-unquote staff shopping so searching a provider out who will give them a diagnosis that they think they have that is a fear but I think that that the likelihood of that is so much smaller than the reality of people know what is going on internally right and like and the other piece of it too is that all of these things exist on a spectrum and so for any of our listeners, like if your care team really is not hearing you when you say, I think that something like this is going on and they're not willing to like analyze that spectrum with you, like they are not, they are not people to build into your care team.
1: Yeah. And I'm a big believer of like, you know, yourself better than anyone else. Um, my last psychotic episode I actually had a treating psychiatrist who I had been seeing for a long time. She was on her way out on maternity leave so she was kind of like not as engaged in the office. I went to her and I said, I, I'm, I think I'm going into psychosis like I'm really scared I've I've my biggest fear is that I would go into psychotic episode again. she said, no, it's probably your or I'm um you know you're under a lot of stress at school like it's fine you're good just you know take some rest calm down a little bit, you know, and you'll be good. And, you know, a couple days later I was in the ER being committed. And I, you know, so I think it's so true. Like if you have a real fit, th- you got to fight for yourself. At a certain point, you have to be an advocate, you know, and just say to them, listen, like things aren't going well, you know, like sometimes the, what is it? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, it's true. Like at a certain point, sometimes they, aren't always seeing the big picture they're not at home you know where you're spiraling and not sleeping and saying all these crazy things and you know they get a lot of times they get 15 minutes with you right and so like whatever you can fit into that 15 minutes great like um but unfortunately they also have lives outside of the office right like they um so yeah just knowing that you are um probably a very good judge of things um and advocating for yourself is probably something I'd say is pretty important. Um, And I wish I had done in that situation before it had gotten to the point it did. Um, But yeah.
2: I so appreciate you sharing all of this because I know that there's a number of people in our super feelers community that have had this frustration of being diagnosed with bipolar and then borderline and then bipolar and and then borderline. And then they feel like they're losing their community every single time that bipolar or that borderline diagnosis is kind of taken away from them. Um, which of course is not the case. We accept everyone into our community. Uh, that That's not like a question, but it definitely feels that way to them. Um, and I know that a lot of people have really struggled with that. So hearing your story of of that,, um, and how you've kind of been able to be like, well, I've been diagnosed with both. I'm being told that I don't have them at the same time, but to me, that feels like the most valid combination. That's great. Like, that's amazing. And, and I think that there's a lot of people in the world who um, need to hear that message.
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting how this episode is received too, because I know we also have a few folks in our community who do have a co-occurring diagnosis of bipolar two disorder. I don't know if anyone has bipolar one disorder, Um, And I would love to, if anybody is listening and you're one of those people, um, I would love to continue this conversation with more folks and talk about how it shows up because yeah, I think historically we thought that that wasn't, um, that wasn't, you know, common or it, or even was like impossible. And I remember when Lori and I first started recording, I think I said, like, I can't even imagine how it's possible that a person who cycles so rapidly could also have this ongoing cyclical pattern happening. And like, that was my own internalized kind of stigma that the field taught me. And now like, because I have a client who I've been in the process of kind of looking at diagnosing both. And I started doing this research and I was like, Oh my God. They're literally saying like, and this is PubMed peer reviewed 2019 data, um, 20% of bipolar two patients and 10% of bipolar one patients have comorbid borderline personality disorder. And there is a robust relationship between BPD and bipolar two disorder.
2: Yeah. That's and one wanna- in five. Totally. And I remember Sarah and I like having, we've had this conversation a number of times throughout the podcast saying like, we just don't understand how that's possible. And it wasn't, I don't, I would argue that like, it wasn't necessarily stigma. It was more just like confusion because we don't live with that. And because, I mean, when I did school, it was not a thing. You had one or the other. Right. Um And yeah, like we took our abnormal psych classes literally 12 years ago. Yeah. So like keep in mind that like the data we have is not necessarily the most accurate. So like this is amazing to be challenged in this way. Um and I thought, Gwen, your example of the difference between bipolar twos like shifting and by borderline's shifting of emotions was absolutely enlightening to me, the way that you said with borderline at least you have some sort of insight of why you're shifting but with bipolar it's more like a chemistry thing where you're just shifting and you can't figure it out I mean it realizing with borderline why you are shifting is something that takes time and like you know you have to have a lot of insight for that but for those of us who do have that ability that's such a distinct shift um, in my mindset about the two disorders together. And so I just so appreciate that. I want to mimic that.
1: Thank you. Um, so yeah, and it's interesting too. Um, a lot of times when my mood has suddenly gone off and it's not typically like it's during a period, it's not always triggered by something. Sometimes I have attributed that to my PTSD, right? So if my PTSD is triggered, by one situation then for sometimes days or weeks i can be really jumpy i don't want anyone to touch me i'm very irritable very um kind of angry and bitter but i have had those episodes that i i blamed on my ptsd and my psychiatrist said to me well you know you said you're going through a period like that right now but has your ptsd been triggered by anything in particular and i said we, no, no, actually, like, I kind of just sometimes thought that maybe it's just my PTSD and something like, you know, a subconscious is triggered or like, you know, you look at the news, you glance at it and anything can trigger, you know, right. Um, but so it's definitely been like, oh my gosh, like, I never considered that there isn't actually a typical cause of this, that it is probably more bipolar. And again, that's probably just going to be something that comes with accepting that that is actually a possibility now in my life. Um, but I think for so long, if we're told that something is not a possibility, then we're looking for all of these other possibilities of, okay, it, within the structures that I've been told, right? Like I've already been diagnosed with PTSD and with borderline. So trying to make it fit into that um, can sometimes I think be a problem with finding the right diagnosis. But yes, so that that has been helpful to know that like when I am feeling completely irritable and angry and just nasty to people all of a sudden, like switch of a hat for no apparent reason. It's like, oh, okay, maybe this is that, you know?
0: So what advice do you have for folks who maybe are feeling like the borderline diagnosis doesn't quite capture everything? It's not that it doesn't fit, right? Duh, you have borderline. We can track this back to you being a child. Elementary school, there's no concern there. But when it doesn't quite fit everything, what is your advice for anybody listening?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, and obviously not doing it yourself, but asking your psychiatrist possibly about Are there any definitive tests that you feel comfortable, you know, doing, adjusting my levels to see if there might be a reaction that's more consistent with bipolar or something like that? You know, I think obviously in my case, it was more of an accidental type situation. And I don't know that there are clinicians that are going to risk, you know, right. Putting you into a manic episode or whatever. But for me, at least that was the. Lying, right. That was the exact, like, okay, well now we have proof of that it could be bipolar. Um, so again, I'm not a clinician. I am not a psychiatrist. I have no idea if that is something that they would do, but at least for me, that was the time in my life where it was all of a sudden, okay, now we have a definitive answer after years of kind of searching. So obviously, you know, always just having open communication with your clinicians, um, And
0: actually it's funny because when they were talking about diagnosing me with bipolar, when I was like 18, like very young, um, my doctor was like, well, let's just give you Prozac because if you have bipolar disorder, you're going to go into a manic episode. And I was like, all right, well, there we go. Like (laughs) that did nothing for me. So, um, I, I, and again, like that was like 12 years ago almost, but you know, I think there are doctors who, in very controlled environments are super willing to play around with those things. Um, but I guess like, and it's the hardest thing we will ever do as folks with borderline because of the stigma is just to continuously advocate and push back against the system that like really doesn't serve us very well.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like from psychiatrists, psychiatrists, some are very willing to like do the tests or whatever. And others are, which understandably, right? Like liability. It's a, it's a thing it's concerning. I get it. Um, So obviously finding a good fit, but yeah, um, that's just been my experience. It's been a long, you know, very winding road. Um, But at the point where I am right now, I feel pretty confident in the fact that I have both. And I think that just having people understand that it's even if you're psychiatrist might think it's not that right, like 20%, that's a, that's a relatively significant number. Um, so it's not impossible. And, um, you know, you guys were yeah. saying that, like what you were in school, like 10 years ago or something. And that was sorry. <laughs> Maybe i feel even. so old we are getting oh, so
2: started. old <laughs> i know oh well my god. no when you guys
1: were saying that i was thinking like gosh my psychiatrist must have been in school what like 40 50 years ago right totally. like back then borderline wasn't a thing it, it oh my was, god you know so it's just crazy to think about
0: but have you listened to our episode where we read through like an older psych textbook
1: no, I'm sure it's very interesting. I oh, to that one. you know
0: we were gonna do like a whole series of that, and we we need
2: to we bring it did, back.
0: But we do bring it to. back.
2: Let's do it. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's yeah. I was, um, I was diagnosed by an older psychiatrist who was working in partnership with like a very, very old therapist at the time, and she really was like, these are borderline traits like you don't have borderline personality disorder. Listen, y'all like (laughs) there is not a single universe (laughs) where I would not, not a single fucking universe. Right. So it is, it is really interesting, but, um, Gwen, it's been so rad talking to you and, like, okay, we didn't get to like what you do. Do you have a partner? Do you have a fucking dog? Like do you, what's your, what's your favorite meal? Like we didn't get to any of that. So if we could like bring you back and maybe talk about the intersection of like your physical health, because you yes, just, I was just threw in say. a cancer diagnosis. Like it's nothing <laughs> yeah. halfway so, through.
2: We're like, and- whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait.
0: Like, hello, do I need to like cancel my next appointment and we can extend this recording? So, um, we would love to bring you back. And I just want to note that you are like so poised and like so thoughtful and so soft. And just like, I can see that you have done a fuck load of work to be regulated. And it's like so beautiful to witness.
1: Thank you. And I, I love your guys' podcast. I'm so you know, happy to have been on here. I would love to come on again. And, um, I, I think that you guys normalizing, you know, BPD and creating a community has just been awesome. Um, I especially love your dating episodes because, you know, figuring out how to date in general is rough, right? With BPD is like, they can Google and it's like, don't date them run the other way. Literally they have BPD. Yeah. And it's like, how, how, unless you, you find an Aaron, like, True, Right. Like, and and that's one thing I said to Sarah was like, you guys have given me hope that like, there are people willing to be in relationships with people with BBD and work with them and understand them. And, you know, they don't run the other way when you tell them what you can, you know, like, it's just, I, I loved that episode where he like talked to you guys, talked to him about that. That was great. But anyway, yes. So thank you so much for having me. This has been great.
0: Hi, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.